When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. And I'm the other host of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro. Kev, what's good, my guy? I'm chilling, man. Getting ready for a little vacation. Going to Disney with the lady and some friends. Going to just hang out and uh, get some time away from Fort Myers, as I always advertise for those of us that live here. Uh, but yeah, no, gym, work, busy day. What about you? You know, same old, same old, went to work, got it done, got some food in me, and I'm ready to rock and roll. So I know we got some topics to get to, got a little NFL, got a little NBA to go over, but uh, I'll let you have the floor from here on the agenda. All right. As Kyle said, got a little bit of a mix of both. Obviously, football season is over, but that does not mean that the narratives and storylines of the NFL are anywhere near done. So first, we're going to go over some looming free agency news. Derek Carr was released from the Raiders, to, I believe, either this morning or yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. And the former Vegas Raiders QB is available for any team to pick him up. There are a couple of different teams that Kyle and I believe he would fit best. It's just a matter of where he's going to decide to go and where his talents are going to be best contributed to. Then we're going to talk about the continued segment we've had for the last couple of weeks and some of the NFL teams in terms of top three biggest needs for next season. And this week we are going to talk about the Dallas Cowboys and the Buffalo Bills needs for next season. So we'll get into a little bit about that. Transitioning into the NBA, uh, Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic have now played two games together. Kyrie is out tonight due to back soreness or back tightness. So tonight, the Mavericks ended up losing to Denver anyway, which made no difference. But we're going to talk about the chemistry as to how not only I see, but how Kyle sees it has been thus far in those two games. Um, They have played very efficient from the field, at least offensively. The issue is, of course, the Dallas Mavericks just don't have a very good reliable defense. So unless Dallas is scoring 140 points a game, it's going to be pretty difficult to beat some teams. So again, we'll talk about how that relationship has gone. And then we are going to talk about Russell Westbrook. Um, He has been traded to Utah as of last week. However, he has not suited up. The Utah front office has said that they are willing to work with him in terms of playing him. It's just they cannot give him any guarantees as to how many minutes they're going to give him because they are committed to giving their younger core um, all the experience that they possibly can. There were rumors for a buyout. It hasn't happened yet. So we are just going to talk about uh, what Shams had reported today in terms of multiple NBA teams just don't feel that Russell Westbrook is the right fit. So we're going to give our thoughts as to how that uh, just doesn't really make much sense, to be completely honest. So that's the agenda. That's the slate for today. But like we said, got a pretty decent packed agenda, and uh, let's just kind of knock it out. Kyle already I, talked about Derek Carr. So, I mean, uh, Kyle, you, you were going to say something? My bad. Yeah, I just want to make a caveat. We are recording a day earlier than Early. typical. So, 
Uh, we're actually recording on Wednesday night, so by the guys, by the time that you guys hear this, uh, it'll be on Friday. But um, like Kev said early on, he's taking a small vacation this weekend, and we just wanted to get ahead of it one day ahead. So then that way, you know, it wouldn't just be me just recording on Thursday night. So I just wanted to add that caveat in. So by the time you guys hear this, it may be a little bit later than, you know, it typically would be. So I just wanted to kind of address that before we uh, dove right into the uh, the episode. But all in all, um, like Kev said, let's dive into the Derek Carr news. So Derek Carr was released by the Raiders, I believe on Tuesday or Wednesday, some day in between those two. Nonetheless, there are going to be some teams that are going to be in the sweepstakes for Derek Carr. There's going to be a boatload of teams that are going to be in need of a quarterback, and Derek Carr is a valuable quarterback. He had an up-and-down tenure with the Raiders. He's had some highs. He's had some lows, and obviously the Raiders were looking to move on from him and go in a different direction. Obviously, Josh McDaniels didn't think that he was the right fit in Vegas for the long term, but that will give... Uh, some other teams, a crack at Derek Carr to potentially improve their standing going into next season. I believe Derek Carr is around 32, 33 years old. So you're getting a quarterback in his early 30s, still has plenty of tread left on the tires at the quarterback position. And like I said, I think if a team is looking to bring Derek Carr into the fold, try to improve that quarterback situation for any team that desperately needs one going into next year. So, Kev, to keep this one to you, with Derek Carr being released by the Las Vegas Raiders earlier this week, what are some potential landing spots you potentially see him going to? So, I mean, we have talked about Derek Carr a numerous amount of times, uh, both this season and last. Uh, I want to preview the entire conversation by saying the Vegas Raiders are probably the dumbest organization in the NFL, just based off of they just gave him an extension last year and they let him go. So I'm I, to, for you to sit here and blame the quarterback when you have one of the worst defenses in the league inconsistencies at the coaching position, at the coordinator position, it's just kind of been up and down since he's been drafted. And then you obviously have the personnel issues with the Antonio Brown situation, trading away your future to obtain Devontae Adams, um, drafting players that aren't even on your team at the moment. Um, for the last couple of seasons, I believe they have the least remaining draft picks on their active roster in the NFL. So... That's just absolutely ridiculous. But again, to talk about his actual potential landing spots, I would probably go with three teams here. And I'm going to go from third to first. Uh, third, what I believe the New Orleans Saints, I think that he can fix some of those problems in terms of inconsistencies. Obviously, since Drew Brees has retired, they have had three, four quarterbacks. I mean, they've tried with Simeon. They tried with Dalton. They tried with Winston. They even put, they even put in, um, of, cor- um, of course, now Taysom I'm going to forget this. Taysom Hill, there you go, the utility guy that just cannot play quarterback on a consistent clip. Um, And it just has not worked. Obviously, New Orleans is very, very, very well over the cap, and it it would be very interesting to see what they would do in terms of either restructuring contracts, letting people go, trading off assets uh, to make the deal work. I mean, he has met with the Saints, I believe, two or three times already, and one of those meetings went up until 10.30, if not 11 p.m., and then he went back the very next day. So I don't know exactly what they talked about. Obviously, I'm not an inside beat reporter, but I would say that that is a potential spot just for the frequency of what he has done already thus far with them. And 
New Orleans, frankly, just needing a quarterback at this point. I mean, they have decent running backs when they have Alvin Kamara back there. If Michael Thomas can get healthy, they obviously have Alave, Juwan Johnson at the tight end position. Their defense isn't horrible, so you can really just kind of insert him and make them a playoff contender. Now that Tom Brady has retired out of the NFC South, I would feel that Derek Carr would easily make them divisional favorites. Then I'm going to move into my second team. I personally think... This team is a little bit more interesting, right? So this is one of the teams that I have kind of teetered back and forth with just because of their inconsistencies and ineptitudes over the last couple of years, and that's going to be the Commanders. They have tried so many different quarterbacks. They haven't committed to Sam Howell, but they said going into next season, he would be number one on the depth chart. I think that would change if they brought in Derek Carr. Uh, Similar to the Colts, they've had some plug-in quarterbacks over the last couple of years. They did the Alex Smith thing. They did Taylor Heineke. They tried Carson Wentz trading for him from the Colts. And, and, you know, a lot of these options didn't necessarily work. I mean, Taylor Heineke probably had the most successful out of the three, at least in my opinion, in terms of when being available and when competing. But it just didn't work out for a lot of them. I think that going after Derek Carr, a veteran quarterback that is still technically in the prime of his career with the wide receiver core and the defensive presence that Washington has, Ron Rivera is a solid um, head coach, obviously more defensive-minded, but he was on the hot seat earlier in the year before Washington went on that run that they did in the middle of the season. I think that if they interview Eric Bieniemy, who's going in, if not tomorrow, the next day for an offensive coordinator position interview, which... Before we even move forward, that makes no sense. You would leave the Kansas City Chiefs to go to a crappy team like the Commanders. I don't know. That just doesn't make sense. But in terms of just the situation hypothetical, if they were to get Eric Bieniemy, I think that that would be another incentive for Carr to look at Washington because he is a brilliant mind. He's been working with Patrick Mahomes and that offense. I think that he would be a brilliant offensive coordinator to work with Derek Carr and his talent. So once again... That's just number two for that reason, just because of the pieces available. And then number one, everybody's talking about it, the New York Jets. I mean, they're literally a quarterback away from going to an AFC championship, if not better. One of the best defenses in the league. Obviously, Sauce Gardner wins Defensive Rookie of the Year. Garrett Wilson wins Offensive Rookie of the Year. You have the potential when... um, Oh my God, of course, now I'm going to forget. Brees Hall comes back from an ACL injury. You have a great head coach in Robert Sala. Obviously, the AFC East outside of Buffalo is pretty even in terms of what New England and what uh, Miami have been able to do over the last couple of seasons. So I would say that you insert Derek Carr. Again, that makes you an automatic AFC championship, if not Super Bowl contender, in my opinion, because of what they already have. And I just think that the Jets have been desperate for a quarterback. If they pull the trigger and they go after him, I think that he would mesh very well with that team. They're also very, very young, so it's not something that he would have to worry about um, in that regard. And I think they have a pretty decent amount of cap space as well. So I think Derek Carr fits perfectly for the New York Jets as the number one option for me. Yeah, there's definitely going to be some teams that are going to be looking towards potentially adding Derek Carr to the fold. And Kevin, I, I do agree with the list that you've provided so far. If anything, I'll probably just add a couple more teams uh, simply just because when you look at Derek Carr, is he somebody that's a top-tier quarterback? No. You know, typically he throws around 20 to 25 touchdowns a year. The only bad side that comes with Derek Carr is that he does have a tendency to turn the ball over quite frequently. The last two years, he has turned the ball over 28 times via interception, 14 in the last two seasons, both in 2022 and now 2021. So, you know, you're not getting somebody who's a grade A quarterback, but, you know, compared to what some other teams have right now at their quarterback spot, he would definitely be an upgrade. 
I would just go with two teams. So then that way we kind of get like a full five list team uh, with Derek Carr potentially going to these five teams. So one of the teams that I have in mind is definitely the Atlanta Falcons. The Atlanta Falcons, when you look at their current quarterback depth right now, it's Desmond Riddler and Marcus Mariota. And it was pretty obvious to me that the Falcons completely abandoned on the idea of Marcus Mariota being the starting quarterback for the Falcons because the Falcons actually had a decent chance to be able to make some moves to potentially get into the playoffs last year. And they fell incredibly short and they actually decided to go with Desmond Riddler for the last couple games of the season and not Marcus. And some of the reports I've seen surrounding Marcus is that, you know, Marcus might not only be out of a job when it comes to the Falcons in the foreseeable future, his NFL career could potentially be on the line based on how things did not work out very well with his tenure last year with the Falcons. So that'll be something to monitor. But to kick it back to Carr, I think that Carr would definitely improve their chances in what I would consider as a wide open NFC South. Like Kevin said, Tom Brady retired. You know, the Bucks had been NFC South champs the last couple of years. I'm saying if you add in Derek Carr and you look at the rest of the cast of the NFC South, that could be enough to swing the Falcons into a potential first place finish in the NFC South next year. And when you look at the other teams in the NFC South at their cap space situation, the Falcons have the best situation via cap compared to the Saints, the Bucks, and the Panthers. If memory serves me correct, they are the number two team with the most amount of available cap space going into this offseason. And my mind is, is that more than likely they're potentially looking to bring in Lamar Jackson if he becomes available. More than likely, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think the Ravens are probably going to franchise tag him. So you know, maybe they look at a situation to bring in Derek Carr for how long of a contract. I don't know. Maybe they do a one-year deal just to keep it safe and then to kind of keep their Options open with Lamar next year if Lamar were to be available. They have over $50 million in cap space to work with, so maybe they sign him to a one-year deal and kind of do a, a plug-in quarterback situation for next year. And honestly, for my second team, I'm going to keep it within the NFC South. I'm going to go look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Brady retired. When you look at their cur current quarterback situation, they have Blaine Gabbert and Kyle Trask. That, to me, is not really a winning formula at the quarterback position. That is quite a drop-off. And more than likely, if the Bucs were to start either one of those quarterbacks, I think it's going to be a very bumpy ride for the Buccaneers. It was already a bumpy ride this past season with Brady leading the quarterback position, and they finished at an 8-9 record. That's kind of uncommon to see from a Tom Brady-led team, especially at the quarterback spot. And I think if they were to potentially bring in Derek Carr... It would bring some stability. Granted, he is a pocket passer. And stylistically, it would be similar to what Tampa has run the last couple years. And they do have a decent wide receiving core. You have Mike Evans. You have Chris Godwin. You have Cameron Bray. I mean, you have some decent targets to be able to throw to. You have a somewhat decent backfield. The only problem is, is that their offensive line is in shambles and their entire offensive coaching staff just got gutted after the season. So... You know, there's definitely some things that are kind of working against Tampa right now, but maybe if they bring in Derek Carr, it could stabilize some things, and maybe the Bucs could gain some confidence going into the preseason or training camp if they were to bring in a 
pretty decent quarterback in Derek Carr. So overall, I think Derek Carr, decent quarterback, not a grade A quarterback, but I think when it comes to the Falcons and the Buccaneers, those would be two teams that I would potentially look at to potentially make a move to potentially bring him into the fold, but I'll just kind of leave it at that. There is, there's potential. There's a lot of teams that need his services. There are a decent amount of teams that don't necessarily need it, but would benefit from it. You know, obviously you have a lot of teams that have young quarterbacks that they can mold, but with rosters like Tampa in win now mode, because of the extensions that they had signed in the previous years, mm-hmm. they can't afford to waste time. So I like, I like Tampa, but the only reason I disagree with Tampa is because of the coaching situation. There's too many holes That's... there. He's already dealt with the carousel. I don't think he's going to want to go to a situation where there's too much inconsistency at that spot. But in reality, it would make sense because of what they already have positioned, like locked in offensively. Um, you just got to obviously build up that offensive line and, and, and get people healthy. And I think that they're right up back and again, a consistency or contend to contend consistently for an NFC t- South championship. So um, they both make it, sense. It's just a matter of where yeah, he wants to go. Yeah. And I, I remember, I mean, I recorded a short about Derek Carr. Well, by the time you guys hear this, I think we released that on Wednesday. So, you know, one of the other teams that I had mentioned was the Indianapolis Colts, simply oh. just because, you know, the Colts are probably more than likely moving off of Matt Ryan. And I don't think Matt Ryan was going to be a long term fix anyway. But I think more, more than likely what's going to happen with the Colts is they're going to focus on the draft. And oh, Kev, yeah. Please, we, we, we were even talking about this before we started recording. I think you would probably be more open to the idea of, CJ Stroud potentially being the starting quarterback for the Colts for the foreseeable future over Derek Carr. I mean, you can tell me if I'm wrong. It's but... not a matter of openness. It's the only option I'm taking. If we sign any quarterback in the offseason that is not a backup in terms of just to have a veteran, I don't I do not want our starting quarterback to be someone that's played in the league. I want a rookie. I just I, I'm tired of the band-aids. I'm tired of the temporary pieces. I don't want Jameis if he becomes available. I don't want no Andy Dalton. I don't want anything temporary. It's got to be CJ, Bryce, or Levis. That's it. That's the only options I'd see with the number one, the number four overall pick. Yeah, and I mean, if you're kind of looking at it from a general manager perspective, it would be the cheaper option because, I mean, Kev, if you just had to throw out a number of what you think Derek Carr could potentially make on a contract, ballpark, what would you say? I mean, the man's coming off of a $40 million a year deal. He's not going to get any of that. If he were to get upwards of 20 to 25, I wouldn't be surprised just because, again, he's a veteran quarterback and people need him. Like the teams that I listed, they're desperate. The teams that you listed, they're desperate outside of Indianapolis, of course. But um, I just, I, I firmly believe that if they have the available cap, they will not hesitate to spend. I don't see him getting like a, a super, super max like he did from Vegas last year, but I do see him still getting a decent amount of money. Yeah, it's, you know, if the guy's averaging around 25 touchdowns a year, obviously double ter- double digit turnovers, he's not going to garner a 35 to $40 million a year contract. No. But would there be a team that could potentially overpay to potentially get 30? to lock him in? Maybe New York? Potentially. I We'll see what happens with the Jets because there have been conflicting reports about what they're going to do at the quarterback spot. I mean, Robert Sala has even said that they're going to 
ride this thing out with Zach Wilson and try to see if they can make it work. But he's Lord. I'm not even a Jets fan. I just that is just not a good decision, man. He's not it. He wasn't it from the get. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, I. You know, here's the thing: is are they going to be able to trust him? Like it just comes down to confidence, I think, with Zach Wilson, and it just seems the team isn't really confident with him leading the way at that quarterback spot. I mean, I think the team looked better with Mike White at the quarterback position than Zach Wilson. And I tell you what, I, I think Zach, I'm not saying that he took it personally, but I think he took a little bit of a confidence hit. I, I don't think it's that far off to say that I think the guys rallied a little bit more around Mike White than Zach. And I listen, Mike White kind of put his body out on the line, especially in that Bills His game. life on the line. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he was taking some shots, bro. But, no, it's going to be very interesting to see how this whole Derek Carr situation plays out. He will get signed by one of these teams. 100%. He is definitely going to get signed. You know, this is not a situation where, okay, we're going to wait six months, and then, you know, when training camp comes around, if one of our guys goes down, then we're going to sign him up as an emergency. That is not going to happen. He will be picked up relatively quickly. And it'll be very interesting to see you know, which team picks him up and honestly, how much team a team is going to be willing to pay him. Is it going to be only for a one year deal? It could have potentially be for a three or four year deal. You know, the the details of the contract to me is actually going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, just because, you know, Derek Carr is in his early thirties and I think it's probably safe to say he's on the back nine of his career, but that doesn't mean that there's no value in him. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that whole situation plays out. But with that said, uh, we are going to kick it to our NFL offseason fixes. It's been a mainstay segment the last couple of weeks uh, on the podcast. And the next two teams that we'll go over will be teams that got knocked out in the divisional round of the playoffs this past playoff stretch. Uh, the first team that we will go over will be the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys had a relatively successful year. They beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the wild card round pretty convincingly, might I add. But they had a pretty subpar performance against the 49ers on the road in the divisional round. Only scored 12 points in that game. Defensively, they actually stepped up pretty nice and only gave up 19 points in that game. But nonetheless, they fell short. The curse of the Cowboys lives on in the playoffs. And there are definitely going to be some things that the Cowboys are going to have to address this offseason if they're going to improve their chances to make it a little bit farther in the playoffs going into next year. So Kev, to get this one to you, what are some things that you think the Dallas Cowboys need to do this off season to improve their chances going into next year? I don't know. Get some better luck. Try to break the curse. I, it's really a rabbit's foot in the locker room. They just, they can't seem to get it going No, But seriously, um, for me, Dallas, again, this is my opinion. I think Dallas needs to get some quarterback depth. For whatever reason, Dak Prescott can't stay healthy since he signed that big deal. It's, it, you sh- it showed Cooper Rush helped lead them to a 4-1 and one record, 3-2 and two record, whatever it was when, when Dak was out, when everybody saw that the season was over. I know that a lot of people think that he was carried by the defense, and to an extent he was, but again, he didn't make any mistakes to lose them games, and he was able to move the, the ball down the field effectively when it needed to be. So I think some depth behind Dak is going to be critical because Cooper Rush is a free agent at the end of this season. 
or should I say, at at the uh, at the end of the uh, NFL fiscal year, which is going to be when free agency opens at some point in March, uh, I would have to say second would be the wide receiver core outside of C.D. Lamb. I mean, Noah Brown is there, but he's a free agent. You have Michael Gallup; he's been hurt. He's inconsistent as well, so that's another name that's like up and down. They signed T.Y. Hilton for the remainder of the year that had flashes, but there is nobody definitive outside of C.D. Lamb that you can really rely on, who he emerged, of course, as a number one wide receiver when doubted. So when he starts to demand a double team, when he's getting it going, you're going to need to rely on somebody else, and I think that that is pivotal for Dak Prescott's success because you can't force-feed one person. Dak led the league in interceptions this year, and that showed in some instances trying to put the ball in C.D.'s hands when it didn't need to be. You need some more options, some more weapons on the outside. And then third, I'm going to stay on the offensive side because I believe Dallas's defense does need some tweaking. Um, but again, in terms of offensively, they had a lot of lulls. And Tony Pollard's a free agent. Tony Pollard is the reason why the Dallas Cowboys had an effective run game throughout the season as Ezekiel Elliott's role has diminished. Although he received more touches than, than uh, Tony Pollard, I believe that what Tony was able to do with the dynamic, being a better pass catcher out of the backfield, being somebody that can make people miss, being somebody that can get to the edge quicker. Uh, he's younger. If Dallas has enough cap, I think they need to pay attention to re-signing him because he is pivotal to the success of the Cowboys moving forward. Zeke is going to be owed anywhere from 15 to $16 million this season coming up. He Again, he's not what he once was when he signed that extension. He's just somebody that is going to get you, I guess, third and short, maybe even goal line touches at this point in his career. He's just, he's gotten worse statistically every single season. So I'm not going to sit here and defend him at all. He's just not what he once was. And Tony Pollard is a big reason why Dallas was so successful in the run game. So for me, again, quarterback depth, I got to get a wide receiver two and three, if not just a wide receiver two that's consistent behind Gallup and CD. Uh, and then, of course, you're going to need some running back depth because outside of Ezekiel Elliott, they have next to nobody if Tony Pollard leaves. Yeah, those are good points, and I agree with all of them. I'm going to add just a couple more points. I'm actually going to start with Dak at first. Um, I know Dak is obviously the franchise quarterback, and he's largely been successful in his tenure with the Cowboys, but Kev, those turnovers are an issue. And they really kind of showed this year with the amount of turnovers that he had in the limited amount of time that he played this year compared to the rest of the quarterback field as far as I see it. You know, Dak Prescott is somebody that is a relatively good quarterback. And the fact that he's able to extend plays with his feet, I think it's, you know, it really shows his versatility. But the problem is, is that he's just too frequent in turning the ball over. And with the amount of games that he missed this year, and that still being a major issue on the offensive side of the ball, there's definitely going to have to be an adjustment this offseason from just his overall decision-making. And look, there may just be a point in time where Kev said it. If he doesn't have anybody to throw to outside of CeeDee Lamb and he has to put up some 50-50 balls, you know, and you're throwing to guys like Noah, uh, Noah Brown and Michael Gallup, are those the targets that you can rely on to make those 50-50 balls? I don't think that's going to be the case. So maybe this is a situation where maybe he has to take a, a step back and be a little bit more conservative in just not throwing errant passes. And as far as I see it, you know, Dak has the potential to be a really good quarterback in the NFL. It just, those turnover issues were so prevalent this year. It was kind of unexpected. And you compare that to what, Cooper Rush did in the limited time that he was a starter. Cooper Rush was very successful in not 
turning the ball over. And by and large, I think that that was a major contributor in why Dallas offensively was successful. Granted, the defense did a lot of help in keeping the games close when Cooper was starting, but Cooper didn't make it worse by not turning the ball over, or excuse me, by turning the ball over. So it seems as if the Cowboys have like two different gears. When they know that Cooper's playing, the team defensively steps up. But when Dak is in, they kind of take a step back. And honestly, they probably shouldn't with the amount of turnovers that Dak commits on a yearly basis. So my first point would definitely be that Dak has to improve his overall decision-making going into next year and just overall limiting his turnovers. My second point is Dallas needs to improve their rush defense. When you look statistically at the NFL, they were in the bottom third with the amount of rushing yards in the NFL. So they gave up almost about 130 yards on the ground per game. And that's despite the fact that they have some really good defensive linemen to work with. Obviously, there's a lot of attention paid to guys like Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence. But still, it seemed to me that just whenever they would go up against a pretty good run game, they would struggle. And the stats indicate that. So, you know, maybe this is a situation that they look to the draft and maybe try to bolster up some interior defensive line, maybe look to free agency as well to try to improve that part of the defense. Because I will say, when it comes to their overall pass rush, I can't complain about that. They finished top five in the NFL. Hell, I think they might have it might have even been top two or top three in the NFL, especially with Michael Parsons just being an absolute beast in that department. But nonetheless, you know, pass rush is only one component of the defensive line. You still have to be able to defend against an opposing offense's run game. And to be quite honest with you, I thought they failed in that regard. So, you know, that is another area of concern that I think they're going to have to focus on this offseason outside of Dak Prescott trying to improve his overall turnover issues. But in my eyes, Dallas is still a good team. They have some free agents issues that they have to attend to this offseason. Obviously, Kev mentioned uh, the Tony Pollard situation. That's going to be a big one. I think more than likely he's probably going to leave Dallas just because I think there's going to be some teams that are really commit to him and giving him a big contract. So, you know, there's going to be some changes with this Cowboys team compared to this past year. I still think that they'll be a competitive team, but if they're not able to fix these issues like Kev and I have outlined, they'll be okay. But I think that they're, they're, they're going to be in that same position where we've always had them the last couple of years. They may win a playoff game here and there, but you know, to a point where they're going to advance to an NFC Championship game, I don't see that happening. You know, they really have to take some progressive steps forward for me to get to that point, and they have to play like it. And they haven't been able to do that consistently since Dak's been the starting quarterback and Mike McCarthy's been the head coach. So overall, you know, just to kind of round this out, I think if they try to improve their defensive line, especially their interior to improve their rush defense, and if Dak just takes a little bit more time uh, to be a little bit more conservative in his decision-making to limit his turnovers, maybe there are some steps forward for Dallas to improve upon going into next season, but I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, Dallas is just Dallas, honestly. I don't yeah, really have like, much it's, to say. Like, like, it's pretty simple. Like, I, I'm trying to like be like somewhat fair and balanced when it comes to like how I analyze them, but it's like, it's going to be the same old, same old. They're going to be 
a relatively decent team during a regular season. I wouldn't be surprised if they win another 10, 11, 12 games next year. But, you know, it's the regular season. What are you guys going to do in the playoffs? And every year, they fall consistently short. And I will say, Kev, they had a shot to advance to the NFC Championship game this year. They kept it close against the 49ers. And, you know, going on the road and only giving up 19 points. Granted, you know, the 49ers had Brock Purdy. He was a third-string quarterback, but he wasn't playing like one. To be able to do that defensively, they stepped up, but Dak failed them. The amount of turnovers that he had in that game, I believe he had two interceptions in that game. Uh, they were just inopportune. I know one of them was basically a red zone turnover, which you just cannot have in those situations, especially when it's a low-scoring game. But yeah, it's just the overall decision-making from Dak has always been a question mark just with the amount of turnovers that he's had. And they just find a way to choke. And they just can't shake Quite that. Frankly, it's, yeah. it's just it's it's comical that they just they just find a new way to fall short every single year. And you know what's kind of funny? I saw this on Twitter. It was a meme of the 2023 NFL script was leaked. And they had the Cowboys making the Super Bowl. And Cincinnati was the uh the other team to make it to the Super Bowl. So would it, in the leaked script, and for and for everybody's listening, I'm putting script in quotation marks. The Cowboys still lost the Super Bowl. <laughs> like, you know, they, they had your boy Joey B uh, coming out on top and, and winning the Super Bowl for the Bengals. But even in the script, <laughs> in a meme script, That's they hilarious. had the Cowboys losing. So, you know... The jokes just seem to kind of surround Dallas as far as I see it, no matter what. And, I mean, it's been, what, 30 years since they won a Super Bowl? Pretty much. And at least 25 years since they've been to an NFC Championship game. Honestly, I don't see things changing. It'll just be the same old, same old as far as I see it when it comes to the uh, the Cowboys. But, honestly, I'll just kind of leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, this next team has also been a team that, unfortunately, despite having a lot of talent on both sides, they also can't seem to shake this narrative of not being able to win in the playoffs. And that's going to be the Buffalo Bills, who fell short in the divisional round against the the Cincinnati Bengals. Damn Super Bowl pick, too. uh, That's why it hurts the most to talk about it. And since I went last... I'm going to swing this one your way because, quite frankly, the Buffalo Bills have talent in almost every single position that you would need to win a Super Bowl. They just can't get it together. So, Kyle, in your opinion, what do you believe the Buffalo Bills need to do to improve next season? Well, kind of similar to what I brought up with the Cowboys, I'm, I'm going to focus on the quarterback here again, and it's Josh Allen. I'm not saying that Josh Allen needs to like completely retool his whole game and he needs to start from scratch and you know build it up from nothing. I think one thing that he has to improve upon is just his overall decision-making, especially in the red zone. Kev, how many turnovers did he have in the red zone this year? I don't know the exact number, but I know it was a lot. Yeah. He was one of the most turnover-prone quarterbacks, not only in the red zone, but just in general. And listen, I know when it comes to Buffalo's offensive system, they let Josh rip it. You know, it is not uncommon to hear... Josh Allen throw the ball 35, 40, 45, sometimes even 50 times plus a game. 
And then when you add in all the touches that he'll add by running the football as well, because Buffalo does not hold back from him running the ball at least probably five to 10 times a game. You know, he's a major component of the offense. And honestly, the offense really lives and dies by him. And when it comes to the amount of turnovers that he had this year, it was quite surprising. And it's not really uncommon to see guys who are in their mid-20s basically either in their prime or on their cusp of their prime, you know, go through that like mid-adolescence as an NFL quarterback. And, you know, maybe this was just one of those years where he took some chances, it didn't work out, and maybe this is a learning experience for him. So one of the things that I think Josh Allen, you know, probably will do this offseason is just assess the overall decision-making that he had in certain moments, especially in the red zone. You just can't turn the ball over as much as he did in the red zone and have a successful season consistently. I mean, granted, you know, Buffalo made the playoffs, but Buffalo was a Super Bowl contending team in my eyes and Kev's eyes and Kev's eyes as well. And the fact that they got knocked out in a divisional round, hell, they damn near got knocked out in the wild card round by a third string quarterback in the Dolphins. So, you know, there's definitely going to be some things that Josh is going to learn throughout his NFL career as a quarterback. And I think last year is going to be one of those examples where he's going to look back and definitely going to have to step up from the amount of turnovers that he had. And, you know, I think as time goes on, he will improve upon that. But I, And I think this offseason, I think he'll devote a pretty significant amount of time to improve from those mistakes that he made by turning the ball over uh, this past season. And Kev, you know, another thing that I'm going to focus on here is their free agent list. You know, there's a lot of free agents that they're going to have to attend to this offseason. And I'm actually going to go th- through the list here. I'm going to list some notable players uh, that the Bills are going to have to contend with on whether or not to keep them or let them go. you got Jordan Poyer, huge free safety, one of their biggest defensive players. He's a free agent this offseason. You've got Tremaine Edmonds, one of their most critical linebackers on that defensive side of the ball. He's a huge player for them. He's a free agent this offseason. And then you look at the rest of the list. You look at some other guys. You could look at Dane Jackson. You could look at Devin Singletary. You could look at... Uh, Jamison Crowder. I mean, th- there's some decent guys to list here. Jordan Phillips. Uh, Case Keenum's their backup. I'm just saying, like, when it comes to their free agent list, they're going to have to make some decisions on these guys. And based on where Buffalo's cap space is right now, granted, we are in February, and things are, you know, subject to change, especially if guys start adjusting their contracts, if they start re- restructuring their contracts. But, you know, Buffalo's going to be faced with some interesting free agent choices this offseason and look maybe some guys are going to hit the open market and test to see what they can get in return in a contract negotiation with some other teams so you know Buffalo's going to be presented a challenge this offseason to try to bring back back some of their core players especially Tremaine Edmonds and Jordan Poyer if they lose any of those guys that defense is definitely going to take a step back because both of those guys are extremely valuable extremely valuable and they are a major a component of their defensive core. So overall, Buffalo is going to have an interesting offseason. You know, the free agent list is something that they're going to have to contend with. And Josh Allen, I think, is just going to have to improve his overall decision making. But I'll leave it to those uh, th- those two 
things that they need to address, and I'll let Kev uh, address some other things that the Bills need to take care of this offseason. Excuse me while I chew my Pop-Tart. <clears throat> to answer your question about Josh Allen, he had five interceptions in the red zone. He had 19 total turnovers for the year, which led the league in total turnovers. So just to put that into perspective, Josh Allen was careless with the ball, not only in the red zone, but overall, which is insane. So in terms of what I believe the Buffalo Bills need to do, it's got to be the offensive line. They were in the bottom tier of protection. They were in the bottom tier of, obviously, um, overall pass blocking. And then when you talk about the run game, that's got to be a little bit more dealt with on the offensive play calling side. But I would still say that they have struggled to run block because when it comes to Devin Singletary, James Cook, Naeem Hines, and even before that when they had uh, Zach Moss, they were very inconsistent in terms of the holes that they were able to provide those backs. So that offensive line, I know they were hurt this year, but in terms of depth, maybe even adding some additional veteran players to help boys bolster that line. Josh Allen is one of the more mobile quarterbacks in the NFL. If they're going to continue to have him roll out, if they're going to continue to have quarterback draws, he is going to need bigger holes. He's going to need to get into the second level without getting hit by a defensive tackle and defensive end. And that starts with the line of scrimmage. So for me, that's pivotal. Second for me has got to be the offensive play calling. I was just talking about that a second ago. Josh Allen does not need to run the ball 12 to 15 times a game, and your running backs in your backfield on your bench don't need to have a combined total of 15 attempts. When it comes to Josh Allen, you need him to survive. You need his arm more than you need his legs. Yes, being a dual-threat quarterback is critical and important, but when it comes to longevity, you're not going to have Josh Allen for many more years if you let him continue to take these hits. So... When it comes to play calling, I know that Brian Dable went to New York. I know Ken Dorsey is now the offensive coordinator. You have to realize, moving forward, if you want him to make it to the end of the year, if you want him to make it consistently into the playoffs and hopefully make it to an AFC championship or a Super Bowl, you're going to have to protect him, yes, with the offensive line, but you're going to have to keep him upright from play calling alone. Hand the ball off. Let Singletary, let Cook, let Hines do what they need to do because they are the running backs. There are very few and in between teams or far and in between teams that quarterbacks lead their teams in rushing attempts that are not the Baltimore Ravens. So until you keep him safe and have him get into a rhythm and passing, you're going to continue to struggle. And then finally, we just talked about offense. It's going to continue to be on that, of that mindset for me. You are going to need wide receiver depth. Stephon Diggs cannot carry a franchise by himself. Gabriel Davis, to me, although he had a career year, is not a consistent enough number two. Everybody fell in love with him in the AFC Divisional round against the Chiefs last year when he had three touchdowns and over 100 or over 200 yards. But outside of that, he has games where he shows up. He has games where he disappears. You're going to need somebody outside of Gabriel Davis or maybe even someone to replace Gabriel Davis as that number two definitive wide receiver. Yes, they have Dawson Knox. Yes, they have Isaiah McKinney. Yes, they have Naeem Hines. But Josh Allen needs additional weapons. If he continues to have those weapons, I feel like they will run the ball less with him and continue to have him sit into the pocket. Am I telling him not to rush the ball? Absolutely not. That's what makes him Josh Allen. You got to minimize the hits. You got to minimize the opportunities for him to get injured. So adding more talent outside, I feel will make him more comfortable and that will make defenses have to man up or drop it into zone. And that's going to leave a lot of holes in the middle of the field. That's going to leave a lot of opportunities for the offensive line to push that line of scrimmage because people are so many people are dropping back into coverage, which makes it easier for the running backs to do what they need to do and, of course, create play action for Josh. 
So again, overall, got to be offensive line, got to be play calling, and it's definitely got to be wide receiver depth for me. Yeah, and look, when it comes to the Bills, like the Bills are one of the best teams in the NFL. And I think, well, I know I've said it. I don't know if Kev has said it. I've always viewed them as one of the best well-rounded teams on paper Agreed. in the NFL. Offensively, they're one of the top offenses in the league. And defensively, you could say the same thing. But when it comes to situations, especially in the playoffs, they have fallen short. You, know, you look to two years ago. Well, it's not even two years ago. It was last, not this past season, but last year. You know, defense gave up a game-time field goal to the Chiefs in 13 seconds. And then this year, you look at the divisional game against the Bengals. And mind you, this was a home game. And it was snowing. So, I mean, you know, I'll take that into account. Bengals crushed them in that game. The Bengals single-handedly dominated. Like, like, line of scrimmage, like, the Bengals bullied them. Offensively, they just couldn't get into a rhythm. And it was a major disappointment as far as I see it with how the Bills season ended this past year. Because Kevin and I had them as our Super Bowl pick. I mean, we had a Bills, what, Rams Super Bowl? That was our initial pick. I mean, the Rams, they were a dumpster fire this past year. But Worst team to ever bounce back from a Super Bowl. I think they had the least amount of wins in NFL history following the Super Bowl. Yeah, which is not in a category you really want to be in. It's not a record you want to hold. But overall, this was something that I mentioned earlier. And, you know, maybe it was the fact that um, that Micah Hyde w- was hurt the entire year. You know, maybe he was like... a lot that's of what, injuries all year. Yeah, maybe he was that one guy that, you know, just wasn't out there to provide like a spark. Because, I mean, look, you know, Buffalo's always been a good team consistently for the last couple of years. But, you know, missing one of those integral pieces on the defensive side of the ball, especially on the defensive side where those guys are always gritty type players, you know, maybe that really hurt them, especially in their secondary, you know, especially when you lose essentially one of the really like the player type coordinators on the field to coordinate the defense appropriately. You know, maybe that really did hurt them. You know, I, and he's not afraid to chirp back at other opposing offensive players. And I think, you know, maybe just Neither not having him. Neither of their safeties are. Yeah, and maybe not having him in the fold, you know, set them back a little bit. But overall, I'm still of the mindset that the Bills are a really good team. It's just, you know, when you look to some other teams in the AFC, it seems to me the Bengals are, are ahead of them. The Chiefs are ahead of them. The Chiefs just won a Super Bowl. And the Bills seem to kind of be in that third position. And... To me, they're going to have to prove it to, I don't know, beat one of those teams consistently. You know, in an actual playoff situation. In the regular season, they could probably do that. They have a very good chance to either knock off the the Bengals or the Chiefs in a regular season format. But in a playoff format, they've lost to both the Chiefs and the Bengals. You know, the Chiefs was kind of a heartbreaking one for them. And the Bengals just, like we said, dominated them. So, you know, is that going to get in their head? To where, psychologically, we can't beat these guys. Maybe. But you never know. But as far as I see it, they are the third best team in the AFC behind 
the Bengals and the Chiefs. So we'll see what they do this offseason. It'll be very interesting to see how they address their free agent issues and whether or not that they could also address some of the things that Kevin and I laid out. But I will leave it at that. Kev, I do have to bring up something. We're going to transition to our NBA segments to just kind of kick it off. Bro, Mikhail Bridges dropped 45 points. I know he's a new member of the Nets. Homeboy dropped 45 points. Sheesh. He said, yo, why y'all doubting me? I'm going to be the new number one. Kev, do you mind if I go over the stat line? I proceed. That is incredible news. Shit, that's a big-ass game. 45, 8, and 5. Wow. He had two steals, two blocks, 17 of 24 from the field, and four of six behind the three-point line. The boy was efficient. I tell you what. I mean, I know they got rid of Kyrie and KD. It's not a bad option if Mikhail Bridges is driving 45 points for you, though. I wouldn't be mad. He's not that. known for offense. He's good for 15 points or so, maybe, like career-wise. I don't necessarily know the exact numbers. And again, he's known more for his two-way play. But 45 is nice. That's a career high. I should mention that as well. So 45 points. You're only five away from 50. Like At that point, yeah, you miss a couple shots or a couple free throws. You're, you're right there at the 50-burger. So, you know, who knows? I mean... Maybe he always kind of had that in him, and but he always had to play second, or he had to really kind of play third or fourth fiddle behind Devin Booker, Chris Paul, CP3, and DeAndre Ayton. Yeah. So you know, maybe this gives him a chance to kind of literally spread his, his wings. He spread his wings and really kind of show the world what he's capable of. I, I mean, I've always seen Mikael Bridges as a pretty good player. Facts. I I, I never saw saw forty five points though. Like no. I wasn't expecting that. But no, when, Love when, average role player. Yeah, when when you were going over um the addresses or the uh, the the fixes that the Bills need to attend to this offseason, I was just scrolling through just to kind of see what's going on in the NBA. And one of the first tweets that came up was Mikhail Bridges dropping forty five points. I'm like, okay, it'd probably be nice to mention that. And also, by the way, LeBron is playing tonight. He did. He is playing tonight. Oh, wow. So, no. I guess that foot's not that bad. I think it's probably something that he's he's going to just have to roll through. Lakers got to get on some sort of hot streak here, and they're definitely going to need him. And also, uh, D'Angelo Russell hit the floor tonight in his uh, debut with the Lakers. Second stint, but... I thought talk- he played last game... Might have. Yeah, I'm, maybe, I'm maybe sure his first home game. This might have been his first yeah, home yeah, yeah. game. Yeah, I think his first home game because I was like, I'm pretty okay. sure I saw him on the court. Yeah, I'll take that back. First home game. I saw he dropped like 20 points though, so it's not too bad. He's still he's still nice. Just a matter of what you're going to get from him consistently. But uh... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This is this this next one is going to be the one that I'm... Um, you ready? Not, not really going to go off on. Yeah, 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 I guess. <sighs> Kev, do you want me to bring up the... Um... The latest game that the Mavs unfortunately played through. Do you want me to I mention mean, that? You can. I mean, we didn't lose by a lot, and Kyrie didn't play, but I mean, Jokic dropped a triple double. Well, I mean, that 
Homeboy is literally a walking triple double. So as he's a center, it's kind of crazy. He's definitely on his way or definitely making a case for it. So, um, I mean, just to kind of set the scene for you guys, uh, we are going to talk a little bit about Kyrie and Luca and the Mavs to a larger extent. Obviously, as everybody knows, Dallas made the trade uh, for Kyrie Irving uh, before the trade deadline last week. And, you know, you bring somebody like Kyrie alongside Luka Doncic, definitely puts a lot of attention. It definitely puts a spotlight on Dallas moving on forward for the rest of the season. First couple of games, Kyrie was pretty good. I believe he was 2-0 and in his first two starts, but then Luka came back and they've been up and down to say the least uh, when both of them have been on the court. I believe they're... 0-2 when both of them are playing on the court at the same time. Like Kevin said, Kyrie didn't play in the Nuggets game on Wednesday. So, Luka did play in that game, right? Yeah, he played. Luka played. Okay. So, they are 2-3 and three at this point since acquiring Kyrie Irving. So, you know, five games in, it's a sub-500 record. Maybe not the start that the Mavs, and I know Kev was looking for, but... Nonetheless, we ha- we definitely have to monitor what Dallas is going to go through for the foreseeable future with Kyrie and Luka playing alongside each other for the rest of the season. So, Kev, to kick this one to you, how do you assess the Kyrie-Luka situation with Kyrie being there for the first five games as a Mavs so far? I mean, t- despite what Skip Bayless said, uh, earlier this week, I think that he's done relatively well. Um, you're getting what you expect from Kyrie Irving, and that is an offensive just eruption. I mean, the man is good for anywhere from 25 to 30 points a game when given the proper opportunity, and we've seen that. In his first game with Luka against the Sacramento Kings, he went off, or should I say both of them had done their due diligence, and Luka had 27, Kyrie had 28. We end up losing that game, but that is because we had some inconsistencies in the, uh, I believe, in the end of the at the end of the game where we couldn't really make a definitive decision on who was going to take that final shot. Um, and then, of course, you move into the Minnesota game, and it's pretty much kind of in that same area. Uh, you know, Luca goes off for where is it? Luca goes for thirty three. Kyrie goes for thirty six. Twenty six in the fourth quarter goes eleven of twelve in the fourth. It, again. The the problem isn't the offense. It, it never would be. It never will be with those two. Two of the most dominant ball handlers, two of the most prevalent scorers in the NBA. I mean, I believe Luka Doncic leads the NBA in first quarter points. Most points scored in the first quarter. Kyrie leads the NBA in most points scored in the fourth quarter. So, again, it's not necessarily a surprise that they are putting up the numbers that they are. It's going to be about meshing. It's going to be about defense because we lost our best on-ball defender in Dorian Vinny-Smith. And, of course, Maxi Kleba, our best big defender, is out. And Christian Wood isn't exactly known as a rim protector. So when you talk about the Mavericks as a whole, we're just going to have to shoot everybody out. We're going to have to score more points than everybody. We're going to have to find a way to get critical stops at the end. And at the end of the day, that's not going to be enough for me. I'm not mad at the trade from the offensive aspect that we're getting. As I said, when this happened two weeks ago or a week and a half ago, I know what Kyrie's going to give me offensively. I didn't like what we had gave up to get him. Again, being our best on-ball defender and our issue in these last few games being defense, we're not losing by a lot. We lost to Minnesota by three. We lost to Sacramento by five. We lost to Denver today by nine, and we didn't have Kyrie on the floor, but they also didn't have Jamal Murray. And uh, Jeff Green ended up having a career night, and he went out and scored 24 points tonight. So 
it's not like we're out here getting blown out. It's not like we're out here not giving a good fight. It's just a matter of we cannot stop a nosebleed. I mean, I watched a couple of specific plays tonight and just the, the brief bit of the fourth quarter that I was able to watch, and we were just allowing backdoor passes. We were allowing the pick and roll. We weren't trying to fight over screens. I mean, it just it looks like the team just does not genuinely give two shits about playing defense, and I have no idea why that is. I don't know if that's lack of coaching. I don't know if that's because... We're a different team than we were last year, even though last year we were a top 10 overall defensive team. I have no idea. But when you're talking about Luka Doncic having to carry this team on his back for the last four to five years, and then you have a game like today where he, he has 33 points. It's not, again, it's not an issue of, of what Luka's going to give you. Um, excuse me, 37 points. But he was negative 12 in the plus minus. I just, I, what are you supposed to do with that? You are just getting scored on every opportunity you can. They are literally looking at you, and they're saying, I'm coming at you. Granted, Reggie Bullock was a negative 14. Josh Green was a negative 20. But Reggie Bullock also had three points, and Josh Green had six points. So when you look at the plus-minus, that also has to include what they do on the offensive end. They weren't doing much. And I know that those two players are more known for their defensive aspect anyway. Luka Doncic has got the ball in his hands every single second that he's on the court. So, yes, your plus-minus is going to look a lot bigger in terms of what it ends up being, because you're being attacked on the defensive end and you have the ball in your hands offensively every possession. I don't necessarily think it's, it was the greatest idea to trade for Kyrie. I stand by that. I don't think that Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith were going to bring us a championship. But the fact that it is going to basically be shot for shot for shot, who's going to take it, who's got the hotter hand, but neither of us are going to play defense, I think that that's going to end up being the issue that kills us in the playoffs if we even make it because we're on a three-game skid right now. We're going into the All-Star break as the sixth or seventh seed, and who the hell knows what's going to happen. I mean, we're looking at LaMarcus Aldridge to sign him as a free agent. I don't even know what the hell we're doing. That 37-year-old big that is just, again, not a big that we need for anything defensive. If anything, he would be somebody to alleviate the bigs for an offensive spark. I don't understand what Dallas is doing. And uh, again, I think that the offensive capabilities of what the team can do are not endless, but are, are very high. It's, it's the defense that's the biggest issue. So I don't know how it's going to pan out, but it hasn't been horrible thus far. I guess, like, I guess one more question that I would ask you is, you know, we're, what, five games into the Kyrie experiment. Yeah. And, I mean, from what I'm hearing... I don't think you really necessarily have any issue with what Kyrie's been displaying as far as his productivity nope. goes, right? Mm -mm. And I think I think that kind of came with the territory because you know, Kyrie's one of the best point guards in the NBA. Like everybody knows that he has the best handles in the NBA, arguably in, in NBA history. But you know, the way that I kind of look at this trade is it is kind of a double-edged sword because, you know, granted you're getting a huge offensive spark with Kyrie, but defensively you're losing just a huge piece with Dorian Finney-Smith being lost in that trade. And I guess if I, if I had to pose like one more question to you, is there any sort of piece that they could potentially acquire to try to improve their overall defense as we go into essentially the last third of the NBA season? No. I mean, you don't even have to pan it out. It's just no. There's nothing available in the market unless somebody gets bought out. And I don't know the free agent list as to what would be available anyway. I mean, if we're looking at LaMarcus Aldridge, we're still looking in the wrong direction. That goes to show you something if that's what we're interested in. Um, in terms of the buyout market, I know Russell's on that. I know a couple of other players are supposedly on that. I know Terrence Ross was on that, but we lost him to Phoenix. Um, 
I, I have no concept as to what is in Mark Cuban or Nico Harrison's mind. The, clearly, the the issue isn't fucking offense, and we need to be looking at defensive wings. We need to be looking at big depth because we don't have Maxi until after the All-Star break. Dwight Powell is not known for his defense. Christian Wood is not known for his defense. JaVale McGee is, but he is a liability on offense outside of the pick-and-roll and lob situation. So when you look at what Dallas has done up to this point, there isn't anything that would show me or give me hope for a change in how this season has gone. We'll win two, three, four in a row. We'll go and we'll lose two, three, four in a row. We'll win five or six. We'll lose two. We'll win one. We'll lose one. It's just, it's up, down, up. I mean, we're 31 and 29 for a reason. Luka's been in and out of the lineup. Obviously, Kyrie missed the game today. We had a couple injuries to a lot of our defensive players. Josh Green missed 20 games. Dorian Finney-Smith missed 20 games. Maxi Kleba's missed almost 30 games. Like, we have, we have had some significant issues at the defensive side, and a lot of that is because of injury. But until we get those pieces back into a rhythm with only, I think, 24 games left in the year, I don't necessarily know how we're going to turn it around with less than a month left in terms of total games available. Uh, so, yeah, Dallas has got to do something to figure it out. I, again, I don't know the buyout market. I don't think there are any free agents that are going to make a significant difference, and the trade deadline has passed, so I think we're stuck with what we have. You know, the interesting thing is, you know, the way that I think this is more than likely going to play out, Kyrie's going to play out the rest of the year with the Mavs, but I think he's probably got some different options this offseason to potentially land with another team. Now, if you're looking at it from a general manager perspective, were they trying to alleviate more cap space off the books by getting rid of Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie? Because I, we'll almost, I, I think we'll almost have a max slot with Kyrie leaving and that whatever is remaining of that $35, $36 million that we had to pay out with Dorian's 50 or $60 million off the book with Spencer's, I believe, 30-something million left on the book. I think Bertans has one more year. We may cut him or trade him in the offseason. I think with some some of the right moves, we'll have a full max slot to offer Kyrie if he's interested. And if he leaves, we'll have an opportunity to at least offer somebody. But again, with me not knowing the market and what is available, I have no concept of what's going to happen. We also have to extend Christian Wood, which he's on the last year of his deal that he signed in Houston. So I have no concept of, again, what they're thinking. I'm pretty much at a loss for words at this point to be honest with you well if you want me to i can look up the current list of notable free agents that are going to be available this offseason i don't want to drag this out to just be about luca and and dallas i i honestly I, I again with there only being less than 30 games left for us there's nothing we're going to be able to do unless we go on some magical run that happens it happens every year in the nba there's always a team that makes a run it's just a matter of there, I don't believe that whatever is left in terms of scraps, because that's essentially what it is, I don't think any of those pieces are going to make any differences. I mean, Kev, I, I'm looking at the list right here for this upcoming offseason. Even if, like, let's say, for example, if Kyrie were to leave this offseason and it potentially opens up a max slot for you guys to potentially look at somebody this offseason, uh, this offseason there's nobody here. There's nobody here really in this free agent list that I think that you would even be enticed by. The, the notable pieces include Russell Westbrook, Chris Middleton, James That's Harden. That's impossible. Chris Middleton can't be available. He just signed an extension like two years ago. He signed like a $190 million extension. 
why do I, ha I just pulled up the spot track that usually the place that I look for, uh, wait, 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 let me, let me make sure, let me make sure I got this right. I don't know why they have him listed as a free agent, though. That's impossible. Because I know he signed that deal. A big-ass deal right before they won the chip, if not when they won the chip. I mean, it very well could expire. I mean, well, they won the chip two years ago. Oh, and he, he signed it before. I, I, I think he has a player option. Ah. Uh, I think he's a player option after this season. That makes sense. So I guess that's why they have him listed there. He'll but probably opt in more than likely. Yeah, it, and he's also 32, by the way. He'll he'll be 32 going into next season. So that's and he's got a checkered him. injury history anyway. So that wouldn't make yeah. much sense for me. After that, Kevin, you got. It's not that pretty. I mean, yeah. Granted, you have James Harden, you have Kyrie Irving, but then you have like no. Porzingis, Kevin Love, D'Angelo Russell, Draymond Green. Like, I I'm low key, low key, and I mean this in the utmost of the lowest of key. If we went and got Draymond, I wouldn't be mad. Enforcer, rebounder, great defender. I don't need you to score. We have scores. I don't. The last thing I need from you is to give me 15 points. You give me two points, but you give me 12 rebounds, two blocks, a steal, five fouls, and a spark. I don't give a shit. That's what we need. That's what we've been lacking. He's not a big, big, but he can guard three, fours, and fives. You guys have always been looking for like that next like Tyson Chandler. I've been Ever saying it for 12 flipping years. It is like slapped on. I should get. We need a center on my fucking forehead because it, it's been the same issue since I was in high school. And the fact that we have not addressed that with a definitive big instead of plug-in garbage, I don't. The fact that Javale McGee was our first free agent signing in this past offseason for twenty some odd million dollars, I wanted to throw my phone out of a moving vehicle, and I had Jeez. no remorse of going to get it back. I saw that while I was driving, and I was like, really? The man's in his 30s. They know how to... second or third stint with us. He doesn't do anything meaningful, maybe other than the occasional block and catching of an alley-oop. Really? I, I'll tell you what, though. The Dallas Mavericks know what buttons to push on you, bro. Like They, they know. But this is the thing, though, right? People tell me that, I don't know, basketball, I'm too harsh on the team, I'm not being optimistic, Kyle. I, I, but I know that I know what they do. I, it's, it's, like I, it's like me and Mark Cuban are, like, mentally linked at this point. Like, him and I are basically roommates because the things that I think they're going to do, I know they're not going to end up doing, and I'm not surprised. I basically call every offseason. We're going to make a run at somebody. It's not going to happen. We're going to sign garbage. And the cycle repeats, right? Uh, it's every year. We went after Dwight Howard when he was a free agent after the L.A. year. Didn't happen. He went to Houston. We went after Hassan Whiteside five, six years ago when he got that free agent look after Miami. He re-signs with Miami. We went after Darren Williams before the Dwight Howard year or the same year as Dwight Howard. He chose to re-up in Brooklyn. I mean, it, we went after Chris Bosh, the big three year. Obviously, he went out and chose Miami. No surprise. It was LeBron James. But it's just like oh, the LaMarcus Aldridge one. That one pissed me off. He chose the Spurs instead because he's from Texas. I think he's from Dallas. And he chose San Antonio. That didn't do anything for you. 
All of these free agents that are, are meeting with Dallas, having an opportunity to sit down, it never happens. The, the one that pisses me off even the most is the DeAndre Jordan one. Yo, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. Ghost Mark Cuban, and then, and then re-signs with the Clippers. We got him three years later, rookie, uh, Luka's rookie year, or four years later, who's already washed. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't have been mad if he would have stood because he was exactly what we needed. But we traded him to go and acquire... I don't even remember. That was the uh, oh, that was the Porzingis trade. I mean, Take look, New York. I'll tell you this. I know you mentioned Draymond. Are you sure that you want to pick up a potentially thirty-four-year-old Draymond? Uh, for a year or two, I wouldn't mind it. He would change the culture for sure. Again, I want him for for this. His defensive IQ. Very, very, very few can do that. The spark that he brings with his mouth and what he would put on the court, like, yo, I'm not going to tolerate any shit from you. Inexcusable. Leadership. Right then, boom, vet. What he can do dribbling the ball, because he can also bring the ball up and create plays for other people. That would take off pressure from Luka as well. Not to run the point or anything like that, but he would create another ball handling situation where he can run the offense if Luka's off the floor. I'm not asking for 35 minutes. I'm not even asking for 30 25, 28 minutes a game. You can start at the four, make a good amount of money. I'm not going to give you 30 million. I'm not going to give you 25, 18 to $24 million. I'm good with that. I think what he can put into what Dallas needs in terms of a vet and his presence overall is irreplaceable, personally. As long as he's I've never hated Draymond as a person. I've, nev- I've never hated Draymond as a person. Everybody hates him because he talks too much shit, gets people in trouble. Bro, that's what you need to do in Dallas. You need somebody to come in there, knock some heads, and in practice, beat somebody to f- up. Bro, you need somebody add, to be like, bro, what are you add, doing? Add a layer of grit. Yes, bro. When we got James Johnson in the trade for Spencer Dinwiddie or whenever the hell, whatever, however we got him, I like that trade because he added the intimidator factor, the enforcer factor, the defensive factor. And he's someone that could hit you know, open shots. He was older. But I didn't mind what he brought in terms of grit. You bring a Draymond in, four rings speak volume. So you got to say, bro, he's walking in there. I'm having all four on my neck right there. You want to learn or what? You want to win or what? Period. And Luca would have to be open to that. And Luca, look, when it comes to Luca, I think that he could definitely benefit from somebody like Draymond, who's definitely shown to... You know, consistently play not only at a high level but at a championship caliber level and he's now, obviously, a pick and roll player that would be beautiful with Luca and, and Draymond granted they're all, I think only two or three inches apart in terms of height the, but the biggest thing for me would be you know is there going to be that clash between him and Luca potentially I'm just saying hypothetically if if Draymond were to even go to Dallas. Right. There's no guarantee. This is that all hypothetical, guys. And there's no rumors or indications that it was going to happen or that it's going to happen in the offseason. There's, I mean, for all yeah. we know, he can end up going back to Golden State. We have no idea. Hell, he could go to, like, the Lakers or the Clippers or something like that. I mean, I, so, I mean, there's always been the idea of him being linked to L.A. for some reason. But it's 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 neither here nor there. I do want to hop off this topic, it'd be, though. It'd be interesting, though. It would be interesting. It would be. Again, the, the, this is another example of the Neighborhood Podcast tangents. Thank you for coming. This is what we would run This was, an a, ad. This was your like, team. This is a warning. Like, this is your team. This is your I team. I know. And as much as I love to talk about them, it's just they just get under my skin so much, and it just 
I can't deal with it as much as I would like to. But again, neither here nor there. We do have one more segment to get to before we before we close this out. And that is we gotta talk about Russ and and the situation that he's in. At one point this season, he was a favorite for six man of the year. He was traded last week at the deadline to Utah. As I stated in our opening conversations, Utah's front office has stated that they would love to have him. They would like to play him. But in terms of guaranteed minutes, they can't give that to him. They are committed to playing their younger players and having them develop as opposed to having a 30-plus-year-old running back, wow, point guard, uh, run their offense and uh, take away minutes from the younger players. So, Kyle, as, as somebody who had him on your team, uh, what are your thoughts on what the NBA looks to be doing to Russell Westbrook? Kev, I'm not going to get any satisfaction by saying this, but I'm just going to try to paint a picture that coincides with the reality here. I think Russell Westbrook's NBA career is pretty much coming to an end. And when it comes to Russell Westbrook, look, we're talking about probably the most athletic point guard I've ever seen. Now, is he the best point guard I've ever seen? No. But just from a pure athleticism perspective, the amount of force that he would bring was unlike anything that I had seen. Maybe Derrick Rose was similar in nature, but Derrick Rose blew out his knees. He was never the same. And even despite that, Russell had some knee injuries as well. Just the amount of power that he would bring driving down the lane and just the overall ferocity that he would bring to the rim on some of those dunks back in the day. It really was a sight to behold, especially when he was running and gunning with Kevin Durant. But I think at this point, I don't think we're going to see too much of Russell Westbrook from here on out. You know, maybe that there's a possibility that he could play for a playoff team, this upcoming playoff run. If, a team needs an emergency pickup and they look to Russell for his services to come off the bench. But I think Russell is on a very similar track to what Carmelo Anthony was faced with a couple years back. There were a couple years where everybody knew that Carmelo should probably be on an NBA team, but a lot of NBA teams had moved on from the possibility of bringing him on. And then he came back, played with the Portland Trailblazers, played with the Los Angeles Lakers, had some, decent moments here and there, but it was nothing like what he was doing back when he was a member of the Denver Nuggets and the New York Knicks during his heyday. And honestly, Russell Westbrook's in that situation as well. Obviously, you know, with him going to be bought out eventually by the Utah Jazz, more than likely they're going to move off of him. It's just a matter of when, because it doesn't serve Utah's interest to carry on uh, that contract. As far as I see it, but overall, you know, I just don't really see Russell getting a lot of use from here on out. I I think at this point, you know, like I said, I I think maybe if a team needs an emergency pickup, they could look at him. But I think there's going to be a very real chance that if we go into this offseason and Russell's not getting any calls... It may be a while before we see Russell Westbrook back in the NBA. And that's despite the fact that, like Kev said in the lead-up, he was one of the best players that the Lakers had coming off of the bench. But the Lakers were always looking to move off from him because they just weren't willing to stick with that contract. And no wonder. I mean, 
Russell Westbrook was getting paid upwards of 40 to $45 million a year, if not damn $50 million. And with the diminishing returns that he was providing, you know, albeit he is 34 years old, this isn't like 24, 25 year old Russell Westbrook anymore. You know, not a lot of teams are going to be really excited to bring a guy like that into the fold, especially when you know that his skill set is just not there compared to where it used to be. So, yeah, it's a little bit of a pessimistic view on, on Russell Westbrook here, but I think it really kind of goes along with what I see in reality. And to be quite honest with you, I think when we're looking at Russell Westbrook, I think his career is pretty much over. I mean, maybe he might have a little stint here and there, but I think this is pretty much it for him. You know, especially if Shams is basically saying that there's really no place for him to go if Utah decides to buy him out, which I think is more than likely going to happen fairly soon because they're basically deciding to go with just their younger core of players, and I don't blame them. So it's kind of an unfortunate situation for Rush, uh, for, for Russ, excuse me, but I think that's just where things stand. Honestly, I think it's just as simple as that. I mean, I'm not going to go as far as saying that I think he'll be out of the league. I think that Shams may be speaking a little bit prematurely just because we don't know the status of the buyout. Um, We do know that at the trade deadline, when they let him go to Utah, that there were two teams that were particularly interested if he hit the buyout market, and that were the Miami Heat and the LA Clippers. Both teams are poised to be in the playoff run for the remainder of the season, unless, you know, barring any major injuries to their star players. Um, I think Russell Westbrook would fit fairly well, specifically in the Clippers organization. And the only reason why is because Reggie Jackson got traded and he got bought out and now he's a member of the Nuggets. And then John Wall got traded back to Houston and he's about to be bought out again by Houston which is hysterical in and of itself because I believe in the last two years alone, I think John Wall's made over $50 million just from Houston buying him out. And this will be the second time he's bought out. So again, it's just, it's hilarious that that's how it worked out. But um, I think they need a point guard. And I think that with him being familiar and comfortable with coming off of the bench now, he's well past that point of just being a starter. Um, I think that that would be the best situation for him to come into that second unit and help lead that unit for when Kawhi and PG are off the floor. We know that Terrence Mann has emerged as a decent offensive player as well. And they have a couple of other players like Norman Powell and some other people. But if he were to kind of lead that unit, I think that that would elevate the Clippers' level of play because for whatever reason, John Wall just hasn't been the same since all the injuries, the COVID year, and all the th- the different things he's been through. So that he, that, that didn't work out when, when they signed him this offseason. And for whatever reason, Russell is just, I believe still a, a, a faster player, a more athletic player, and somebody who has shown in stretches that he can still carry an offense, at least the second unit offense, because he was in the running for sixth man of the year. He still has gas in the tank. I would agree to an extent about the Carmelo thing. Carmelo was blackballed. We still don't know why. We don't understand if people thought he was washed. We don't understand if it was because he struggled in his last couple of teams before he went to Portland. Um, but we all know that Russell can still hoop. We all know that Russell can still jump out of the gym. We all know that he has great court vision. He's one of the best passing point guards that we've seen in some time as well. Mr. Triple-Double. He can give you 15, 5, and 5. And not a lot of backups can do that at a consistent clip like Russell would be able to do. I think his issue is his attitude and mentality. 
um, you know, I want to play more. With him having friction with the Lakers head coach just right before he got traded, I think that that is going to pose to be an issue as well because of the narrative that he brings along with him, the baggage, the mentality, the attitude, and just all those other things. I don't think people want to bring him on because they already have their set squads and they don't want him to ruin the chemistry. They always joke about that clip where LeBron James and, and, and Devin Ham or Dar- what's their head coach's name? I keep forgetting. Darvin Ham. Darvin Ham. I keep forgetting Devin and Darvin. Darvin Ham was saying, you know, we got to win this, that, and the third. And then, like, LeBron James snaps his head real quick and Russell's like, you know, just have fun, though. And, like, <laughs> it's funny. But at the same time, it just it goes to show the conflicts that certain people are having. Like the Lakers were are still under five hundred, and they're talking about got to win, got to capitalize. And Russ is like, "Yeah, we, we got to have fun too." We're talking about professional sports here. Yes, it's supposed to be fun, but this is a job that you get paid to do, and what you get paid to do is win. If you're having fun and losing by fifteen, I don't think you're doing your job correctly. So correct me if I'm wrong. Fun is included because you're playing a a game for a career, but in reality, if you're not winning i don't necessarily know if fun is going to be equivalented with losing so to each his own i'll end it with this we know that russell westbrook can still play basketball at a high level no at an average level i would say no i think he's kind of still in that teetering where he can give you a good like i said 15 to 20 points off the bench on any given night if given the right opportunity in the right situation so if he goes to la I think he'd be perfect there, which would be hilarious to just play on the opposite locker room or never technically have to leave L.A. because he's from California. But um, Miami, not so much. I think they have too many underlying issues as it is. Uh, You know, inconsistency with shooters. Duncan Robinson can't defend. Jimmy Butler's been in and out of the lineup. Kyle Lowry's not panning out. Um, You know, they have a lot of other issues themselves. I think, like I said, the Clippers would just be the best fit because they can defend, and him running the second unit just makes the most sense for me. I think it's, I hit the wrong button. I think it just has to do with the fact that for me, I think I just see the writing on the wall for him. And, you know, I think the Lakers, as soon as they were presented an opportunity to move off of Russ, they were able to do that. And I, Kevin, here's the thing. You know, I think these NBA GMs, I think they could see it too. Russ has been moved around team to team to team the last... Yeah, in the last five years, he's been on, I think, four different teams. I mean, honestly, you know, you'd be basically yeah, just OKC, doing the same Washington, thing. Houston. Houston, LA, and now Utah. You know, you'd basically just be sending him around, essentially on the journeyman route. And, you know, to me... Is that really worth it for him? I don't know. I mean, if he thinks that he could go out there and play, you know, go right ahead. You but know he thinks he can. And I know, you know I, that he still can, bro. He's I, not a... If Matthew Delavadova is on an NBA That's not my roster, point. That's not my point. He's not washed. That's not my point. My point is, is he's literally going to get passed around the league. He's going to go from team to team to team. And honestly... They're going to run into the same issues that the last couple teams that have had Russ have had. You know, they get a good stretch from him, and then they trade him. You know, play 20, 25 games, 50, 30, 35, whatever. It's like, all right, you know, as soon as we get a good trade package, we're shipping you off. And to me, it just, 
I don't think that's fair, man. I don't think he's gotten a, a fair enough shot. The Lakers were his best opportunity. I'm not, Kev, you can't mention fair. Look what happened to Carmelo. Do you think that that was fair? What happened to him? No, I'm saying, but like, for, I'm, I'm saying what you're saying, I don't think is fair because he still has gas. When Carmelo ended after OKC and whatever situation transpired afterwards, he did not play well at all. There were stretches where Carmelo was scoring single digits. He was playing horrible. You can blame it on the system. You can blame it on teammates, whatever. But when you talk about Russell Westbrook, we're talking about a guy that's still putting up 17, 18 points a game, and he's still out here dishing out five to six assists a game. I want you to name me a role player in the NBA that can do it as consistently as he can. It depends, on what, depends, on, what you, depends on what you mean he's by role player. Room. He's not the greatest shooter. But when you talk about a backup point guard, because that's what he essentially is. I'm not saying he's a starter anymore. I'm talking about for a contender. He's going to go out there. He's going to give you 150%. Not that Carmelo wasn't. But Russ can get to the basket at any point. I, I know what he's capable of. I, I know that. But my, we my knew po- that it wasn't going to work in L.A. because LeBron is ball dominant. You cannot run an offense with LeBron James and Russell Westbrook on the same team. It, it was never going to work. And they had no shooters. My point is, is that the points that you bring up are are valid. But when you look at the rest of the NBA, most of these teams are trying to stay younger. And I mean, right. if they're, if Utah is not willing to kick the tires on Russ, why would any other team want to? That's what I'm saying. We don't really know what's going on in Utah because the front office came out and said what I said because that was a tweet from Shams or Woj that they're willing to to, to work with him. Work with him is a very loose term because we don't know if that's work with him to get him a buyout, work with him to get him incorporated into the team. Utah's not making the playoffs. So I would assume work with him, meaning to find him a suitable team to work out with or to to let him go. And if he's not going to play the rest of the season, he's just going to soak up that cap and work on competing for working on a team next year. But I don't I don't see Russell giving up on the year. No, it's just for me, I guess the way that I look at it is he's going to probably play for other teams. But what I mean is, is that he's not going to have like a tenured stay for an extended period of time. He's going to get passed around the league and he shouldn't be, but no, you're right. Yeah. That that's kind of the point that I'm making is that to me that it essentially indicates that his career in the NBA is coming to an end. That's how I kind of see it. Because once you get on the journeyman route where you're getting passed from team to team to team, like he has, and we have seen other players go through that same thing, John Wall is another one. Yeah, but John Wall has an injured history. We're talking about a guy that ruptured his Achilles and all these different things. I'm just, Shoulder. Say, I'm just saying he's on that same track, Kev. You don't think that he would benefit from playing on a team? He's on the Clippers. Like, huh? He's on the Clippers. And what is the, what I'm talking about like Russell. I'm talking about Russell. Oh. You don't think he would benefit from playing on the Clippers. You don't think that Minnesota can use a backup point guard. You don't think that the Pelicans can use somebody else. Okay. Well, I mean, you could bring up the Clippers. Okay. So if you were to bring in Russell Westbrook, would it not really to start. be... No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if you compare it to John Wall, would you really be getting anything that drastically different? Do you want to pull up the numbers? Because you know that it's better. You can pull them up. I'm asking, would it be drastically different? Drastically? No. 
but I think it would be an improvement. And at this point, you get what you can get in this buyout market. The Clippers need to add somebody else to that roster because they lost Luke Kennard. They lost Reggie Jackson. They lost um, John Wall. What are you going to do at the guard position? You're going to play G League players? You're going to really give more minutes to the people that are the kings of load management when it comes to Kawhi and PG? The the, the best tandem in the NBA that have missed the most games amongst the two? I mean, Kev... We could look at G League players that you thought have get given that should have been given opportunities in, in in Jared with the Mavs, and when they've been given proper time on the court. You mean uh, J- Jalen or J- oh my God, Jaden Hardy? Jaden, Jaden, excuse me. I, yeah, my bad. You're good. No, so, I, I mean I forgot too. Shit. But no, it's just. For me, when I see Russell Westbrook, it's just I don't really see it as like this viable pathway for the rest of his career. It's literally just getting passed around from team to team to team. To me, that's disrespectful. Dude, we're talking. Come on, man. Look at these numbers, man. John Wall's averaging 11 points per game. Westbrook's averaging 16. Westbrook's averaging six rebounds a game. John's averaging two. John's averaging five assists per game. Russell's averaging seven and a half. That is contributing numbers, bro. John we were, Wall hasn't played in damn near two weeks. And the entire season, Kev, we were trying to move off of Russ. Didn't matter. That what is you put your on the court. fault for trading for him. That is Rob Palinka's problem. That has nothing to do with the Lakers organization. You wanted to inherit a forty-five million dollar a year contract. That's on you. Fair enough. But my point but is, that has that, nothing to do with Russell Westbrook. Because if he would have been in another situation where he could have manned the ball or had a definitive role as opposed to last season in and out of the starting lineup and then being put on the bench and then resisting and then playing with Braun and then Braun was hurt and then AD was hurt. What did you want to do? You forced his hand. Braun decided to nix the DeRozan trade or the DeRozan signing and went after Russell Westbrook. If anything, this is LeBron James's fault. Russell Westbrook is still putting up numbers. We've known that he's not a shooter. So him shooting 29% from the three-point line, not a shocker. He's not there to shoot threes. Him shooting 41% from the field. He's not the most efficient scorer. He's not there to do that. He's there to lead a unit, pass the ball, rebound, and on the occasional side, defend. He's averaging a steal a game this season. That's better than John Wall. Again, I'm just saying, for the sake of what we're talking about right now, Russell Westbrook at his age is a better and viable option or more viable option than John Wall. Period. That's fine. I'm not looking at anything long-term for Russ. Russ it's not about gonna... long-term. We're talking about just for the remainder of the season. Whatever happens superseding this season, he's going to probably more than likely play one-year deals or two-year deals at most. But with him being, how old is this man? 34 years old, turning 35 in November. Mm-hmm. There's not much left to give. But it, it, as long as you're putting up these numbers, I think that he can play on the bench for a contending team if he's willing to take a severe big pay cut because he'll never get what he's getting right now ever again. Or you go are, back to OKC are, and close are out you, the rest of your career and you back up shy. Are you sure that you think that he's going to do that? Does he have a choice? It depends on his mentality. I guarantee you Russell Westbrook loves basketball enough to say, I will. Uh, I know uh, he knows he's not getting $50 million a year again, $40 million a year. He knows he's not even going to get 30 ever again. I know that. But... If if I'm Russell, is he gonna is he gonna make that? I don't, I don't know. Is he gonna mindset. make that? Is he is he gonna make that adjustment? I don't know, but I don't know his mindset. What I'm saying is, for Russell, for the remainder of his career, he'd be smart 
to sign a two-year deal with a contender. Now, I don't know who that would be. I don't understand or have any idea of where he wants to be. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is you want to win a championship. You've done the MVP route. You've led a team to the playoffs. You've done the triple-double route. You've done the play with a superstar route a multitude of times. Now it's time to ring chase. You're, you, you got the bag. You got the super, super contract from OKC five years ago. You've made your money. You're signed with Jordan. You need to compete for a championship. I don't see Russell going to like, I don't know, what's a bad team in the NBA? I literally just got rid of the freaking the standings. But like, oh, I'm, Houston. I'm not, Houston's a bad I don't one. see him going back to Houston. That's what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's not going to go ruin. He's not going to go to the Spurs. That's all I'm saying. He has enough left in the tank to compete for the next two years. I think. Yeah, it, it's just, for me, I I think the way that I see it is that I think Russ is going to go down that similar path that Carmelo went. And it, it, it I understand where you're coming from in what he can bring. Guess what? When Carmelo wasn't playing in the league, we all knew what he was capable of. Hell yeah, that man gave you 15 points if he needs to. But, but, I think Russ is going to go through a similar type of experience. I'm not saying right. that he's going to get blackballed. It's just that I don't think teams are going to be willing to take the risk with him. I'm this year. I'll give you this year. Maybe. And I even said like, you know, you need a, you need a guy to pick up emergency for a playoff run. Maybe you look to Russ, but after this year, I just don't think teams are going to be willing to take the chance unless it's on a, like, a, like, I think you said earlier, like on a vet minimum contract, but I don't know if Russ is going to settle for that. I I don't know. I'm not. We'll see what happens. We can't speak for his mentality. All I can speak for is the fact that I believe that Russell Westbrook can contribute to a competitor at this moment in time. What happens next and, year is irrelevant because I have no clue what the hell is in his mind. That's true. But for next year, shit, he may even hang it up for all we know. Maybe. Maybe, but not to say that he needs to. Or I don't that think. He I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna hang it up after this year. I don't think he's gonna retire after this year. But I think after this year, even though that he could contribute, I just don't think that teams are going to be as. You know, I think they're not going to risk it with him. I think unless it's like on a really small contract, that that'd yeah. be it. So, and it'd be like one year deal. That honestly. A one-year prove-it deal or a two-year deal with a team option or some, something yeah, play, like that. But yeah, exactly, yeah. Neither here nor there. Guys, we have talked quite a bit, especially in the NBA topics in terms of in, in, in elongated depth. I think we'll, we'll, uh, we'll end it on that note. Um, you know, it is late, and by the time you guys hear this, it'll be Friday. So hopefully you guys have an incredible weekend. Um, obviously, we'll be back on Sunday to discuss a lot more. I mean, pitchers and catchers have reported uh, for baseball, so spring training starts next week officially in terms of spring ball. So we'll kind of talk a little bit about that, maybe kind of get into some uh, some MLB narratives and things of that nature. All-Star Weekend for the NBA is approaching, also for the NHL. So we have so much to talk about. And, uh, you know, obviously a little bit of time, never enough time in the day. So with that being said, Kyle, do you want to bring us on home? Yeah, sure. Um, once again, always appreciate you guys tuning in and supporting the podcast, whether it's uh, listening to us on the audio platforms or watching us on YouTube, we definitely appreciate the support. Uh, like Kev said, um, baseball's around the corner. You know, NBA is basically gearing up for the All Star Weekend, and you know, pretty much 
you know, it'd just be kind of status quo from here on out. So just to kind of expect that type of content from here on out, expect some NFL content kind of sprinkled throughout uh, the weeks ahead. Obviously we'll have the, uh, the free agency period coming up and then the draft and in April. So, you know, we're definitely going to stay busy and we hope that you guys uh, go along for the ride with us. So with that said, you guys, thank you guys for tuning in and we will see you guys next week. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement. Inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on ElectroCast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. ElectroCast.